those announcements. Remind you of the shoe thing. I remind you of the, the carrying pregnancy, the baby bottles, and those kinds of things. Uh, there's an opportunity in there for rightnow.org uh, to uh, plug into some streaming services that we subscribe to at the church. Over 20,000 videos for Bible study and and those kinds of things. And take note of that. And uh, in terms of prayer request. Uh, the first prayer request yesterday afternoon, I got a call that uh, Patty Valencourt was taken to the hospital with what appeared to be a stroke. About 10.30 last night after a couple of MRIs and being in the ER for at least seven or eight hours, they finally came to the conclusion it wasn't a stroke, it's a UTI, so there'll be antibiotics and uh, be applied and all those kinds of things, but she'll be there for a couple of days. But she was totally unresponsive when they took her in, so that was the first conclusion. Um, and uh, just thank you for your continued prayers. Uh, I understand Tammy Vitale was taken to the hospital yesterday. I don't have any more information about that, but be in prayer for Tammy. And then uh, be in prayer for Audrey. She has surgery on her 21-year-old eyes. She, today's her birthday. She's 21. She's old enough to vote now. And she'll have the cornea. Uh, procedure done on Tuesday, so just appreciate your prayers uh, that the Lord will intervene and guide this surgeon and doctor, whatever they do, uh, to put new cells in the retina. The video ended today with Romans thirteen seven: Pay to all what is owed, taxes to whom taxes, revenue to whom revenue, respect to whom there is respect, honor to whom honor is due. Which leads us directly into where we left off last week. That was the last verse we read in our message last Sunday in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And in a moment, we're going to begin our study in verse 8. But before we read that, let me share with you what came to my mind a couple of days ago as I was reading this passage of Scripture and, and looking forward to being with you today. The, my mind went back to... Uh, 1965, in light of what happened in Texas, in light of the BLM, the cancellation culture, the woke agenda, and all the other agendas, and the war that's taking place in Ukraine, the war that's taking place in Washington, D.C., between the right, the left, in between. Um, in 1965, Jackie DeShannon sang a song written by David Howell and Bert Bacharach. Diane Warwick, she, Warwick uh, made it popular after that, but she sang, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. The Roman Empire at the time that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome was not a whole lot different than the world we live in today. There were great gulfs of separation between numerous people groups of that day. There was the Roman citizens versus the people groups in subjection to the empire. There were the rich, the poor, the Jews, the Gentiles, the learned, the unlearned, the Greeks, the barbarians. There was a vast gulf between the genders. There was the men who looked at women as a piece of property, equal to cattle, a horse, whatever, something to just be used for their own whatever. And add to that the slaves and the masters and the very evil emperor. Paul was writing from the city of Corinth, a city that was given over to the pursuit of gratification in all kinds of immoral ways. And none of them led to anything more than a craving for something beyond what they've already experienced in that moment that was so fleeting because if it was satisfying, they wouldn't keep on pressing for more. The world was not much different then than it is today. What the people needed then, what the, people, what the world needs now more than anything is love. Real heaven-sent, heaven-inspired love that can only come through Jesus Christ. 
The first note, for those who are keeping the notes, the greatest need of men anywhere today is to learn the secret of how to love. The greatest need of men anywhere, everywhere, is to learn the secret of how to love. Hal and Becherach were not the first ones to declare what the world needed more than anything was love. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. When some expert of the law approached him, trying to trap him in a theological conundrum, he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And remember Jesus' response to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. A little later, when Jesus was gathered with the 11, that was 12, and Judas left, he said, I want to get, and John 13, 34, he said, a new command I give you. You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I don't know if Jesus meant it, but it seems to me inferred to me that when we love one another, people are going to be drawn to relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be glorified. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. Paul seems to echo Jesus' words in the mandates he speaks under the influence of the Holy Spirit when we come to verse 8 of Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9 says... For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And the other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 11 says, Besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Good morning. Time has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Those first four verses of that eight verse, that's the core of the Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey. Owe no one anything. Don't live in debt. Except, Paul said, to love each other. A preacher from the second century A.D. named Origen wrote, So Paul desires that our debt of love should remain and never cease to be owed. For it is expedient that we should both pay this debt and always owe it. Owe no one anything except the debt of love. The Christian is always a love debtor, no matter how much love he gives. The Christian is always a love debtor, no matter how much love he gives. Owe no one anything except to love each other. What would our world look like if every time we meet someone we said to ourselves, I owe that person the love of Christ. Jesus died for them. I owe to them the love of Christ. I have a wonderful debt. Jesus loved me. He died for me. I have a debt to, to pay forward. This is the kind of debt you pay forward. I can't pay for what Christ did. He paid it all. But because he paid it all, now I pay it forward by loving other people. And everybody said? 
Have you ever borrowed money from someone? What's the first thing that came to your mind when you saw that person? Run, I don't have enough money. No. (laughs) Your first thought is, I owe that person money. I owe them. Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, says, we are to live with this mindset because Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. I owe the people that he brings across my path, the people I come in contact with, I owe them the love of Jesus Christ. Wherever I go, to church, to work, to Walmart, to the gas station, wherever I go, at school, owe no one anything except to love each other. Have you ever thought about what would happen if everyone would just learn how to love and then did it? There'd be no more divorces. I'm not saying there wouldn't be any problems, but because they love each other, they'd figure out a way to work it out. They'd work through it until it was solved. There would be no more wars. No more need to build up an arsenal of of nuclear weapons and missiles designed to blow up the world. Think of all the money the world would save. If everyone loved each other, there'd be no crime. Because when we love each other, when we see somebody else's possessions, we don't say, that's mine, or I want that, and I'm going to take that. We just, that's theirs. When we love other people, we want to bless them, not hurt them. If we learn how to love and put into practice, there would not be people like the young man so filled full of hatred at 18 years of age that he puts on body armor and takes an AR-15 and guns down defenseless children. There would not be a shortage of space in the prisons. There would be no criminal lawyers. world's a whole lot better already. There would be no lawsuits in the courtroom. If you had to go to court, you could get on the docket real soon, not two years down the road. The biggest problem we have is our lack of love and our inability to love one another. Everything in our world revolves around that issue, our lack of love in action. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus released the ability to love when he rose from the grave. Jesus released the ability to love when he rose from the grave. You remember when he was gathered in the upper room with the 12 or the, then the 11, and he said, it's best for you that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send another comforter, and he will not just be with you. Where will he be? He'll be in you. The Holy Spirit, that's God. God is love. So if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have within you the power to love. You have within you the power to love. Jesus, we read it a moment ago, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Do you know that whatever Jesus commands us to do, he empowers you to do? And you all said, Whatever he commands you to do, he empowers you to do. We have the power to love if we choose to. If we choose to. It's a command. That means there's an action. My action is I must choose to do what he said. We're not robots. He gave us a free will to live in a relationship of love with him. The temptation is not to love. The temptation to be more concerned about me, what I want, what I need, what I think. But the command is to love one another as Christ loved us. So considering the ongoing debt to love each other, we choose, number one, to act in love. We choose to act in love. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. To love each other. 
That is our God-given obligation. In fact, that's step number two. Remember, we have an obligation to love others. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Have you ever heard or used the expression, well, it's not written in stone? Meaning, whatever we just said, it's going to be flexible, it can be changed because, you know, it can be left to interpretation. It's not written in stone. Well, the the law that is referred to right here in verse 8 was written in stone by the finger of God in tablets of stone to last forever. They are not left to personal interpretation. They are not flexible. The Ten Commandments. A few moments ago, I referred to Jesus' word from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. The first and greatest commandment. And the second is like that. Love your neighbors yourself. And he said, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments are all about loving God. The first four of the Ten Commandments are vertical. He said, have no other gods before me. Number two, don't make any graven images or bow down to any idols. Number three, do not misuse or the, the name of God, or don't take his name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Day that belongs to the Lord. A day of rest, a day belongs to the Lord. It's my love for God that enables me to keep those commands. It all starts with a vertical relationship. And when my vertical relationship is in order, then the other six that have to do with the horizontal. The last six of the Ten Commandments are all about loving people. They're all about loving people. Somebody has pointed to the cross and said the cross has the vertical and it has the horizontal, representing we need to love God and we love each other. As Jesus loved the Father and stretched out his hands to love us. Vertical and horizontal. To love, to love each other on the level. Verse 9 said this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And the other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you love your neighbor, you refrain from adultery. When you love your neighbor... Murder does not enter your mind. When you love your neighbor, you respect their property and don't covet what they have. My love for my neighbor measures my love for God. My love for my neighbor measures my love for God. John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone, go back, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now the next one. Verse 19 said, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pretty plain. I think it's pretty straightforward. My love for my brother, my love for my neighbor, measures my love for God. If I say I love God and I don't love you, I'm a A liar. What does the scripture say about the eternal destiny of liars? 
It's not good. It's not good. There is a pit prepared for them that has a fire that never goes out. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Perhaps you remember the story that Luke told about another lawyer, or maybe the same lawyer, but this time in Luke's gospel, it appears it was a different lawyer who comes and says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him the same thing we read in Mark, Matthew 22 and Mark 12 to the lawyer who wanted to know what the greatest commandment was. In Luke 10, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer says, Jesus, you've answered well. But in effort to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? Now, those of you who have been in church for a while, you know that this is where Jesus launches into the story about the man, the Jewish man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was attacked and robbed and left bleeding alongside the road. Jesus said, by chance, a priest came by, saw the guy laying in the road, did not want to defile himself, and kept on going. By chance, a Levite came by. He also saw the man lying there bleeding, wounded. And by the way, they took his clothes. And he sees him there, and he goes on by. And then he said, by chance, there came a Samaritan. Now, do I need to remind you what the Jews thought about the Samaritans and vice versa? They had no love for each other. A Jew, good Orthodox Jew, if he had to go from Judah to Galilee, Samaria lay in between. But they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go across the Jordan River, go through the Negev, and then cut back across the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, and go into, Gal into Galilee itself because they didn't want to come in contact with Samaritans. So when Jesus tells this story, I mean, it's, it's just going to blow every Jew that's standing there out of the water. But the Samaritan stops, bandages up the guy. Interesting, he had a first aid kit, huh? Scholars believe, well, if he bandaged him up, he probably ripped something off of his, old, his own garments to wrap this wound up. He uses his oil, his wine, and, and, and puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and says, I'll, here's enough to cover it. If it doesn't cover, I'll pay the rest when I come back. And Jesus looks at the lawyer and said, now, which of these persons was the neighbor? And he can't say anything but the guy who showed mercy. And then he said, go and do likewise. Unfortunately, there are far too many people in our world today, like the priest and the Levite, when they see somebody in need and in trouble. There's hundreds of stories, positive and negative. Let me share a negative one that came from November 23rd, 1981. It appeared in the Chicago Tribune, the story of Mary Hannigan. The title, or the article was entitled, He Started Cutting, Nobody Stopped. Mary was assaulted on Chicago's Kennedy Expressway when a man purposely rammed her, then attacked her with a knife in her own car when she stopped to check the damage. As she struggled for her life, no one stopped to help. When she managed to move her car forward so it blocked an exit ramp, one car even drove around her without stopping while she was being brutally attacked. Fortunately, her assailant fell from the car when she was able to push on the accelerator again and she escaped. In the hospital, after a plastic surgeon had worked six hours on her face, leaving some 100 st stitches, her husband said, that's what I can't believe. It's as if people went out of the way not to help her. Sergeant James Marble commented, the only ones who would have helped her would have been the police officers driving by. People just don't help other people, unfortunately. His observation, too often true, 
though we do know that there's notable exceptions to that where people understand our obligation is to love people. The point I wish to make from this is how irresistible Christianity would be in everyday, uneventful life if Christians truly love their neighbors as themselves. If we consistently saw ourselves as love debtors, just think how the gospel would spread. We would be living out the law, and the authenticity of our inner spirits would sound wide the ring of truth to a needy world. Jesus loves you. Because he loves me, I love you, and you know the love of Jesus Christ. The third action step that Paul calls us for today in this passage of Scripture that I see, redeem the time. It's later than you think. Redeem the time. It's later than you think. Besides this, he said, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from, your, from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Wake up, he said. The time has come, the appointed time. The kairos is the word. It's, it's an appointed time. Salvation is nearer now than we first believe. When he says the night is gone, or far gone, the night is far gone, we're reminded we are in the last days. We are in the last days. And did you know that the last days began when Jesus resurrected from the grave and sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching. People are wondering, what's this going on? These people speaking in languages that we know and they've never learned. They're speaking in what to them is an unknown tongue, but to us, it's our native language. What's going on? And Peter stands up and said, this is that which Joel prophesied in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's when the last days begin. As you read the New Testament, first century A.D., the anticipation of every believer was Jesus is going to come again any day. They were looking for it. They were longing for it. I've read where some scholars believe that they would greet each other with the word Maranatha. O Lord, come. Maranatha. O Lord, come. Paul says, wake up. The culmination of our salvation is closer than you think. The Apostle Peter referred to uh, what Paul referred to in verse 12. He said, the day is at hand. The day of the Lord. The day. That's talking about the day of the Lord. Peter said it will come like a thief in the night. In other words, without warning. If thieves gave us warning, nobody would have punched out the locks on our van. Nobody would have taken the catalytic converter off the van. Nobody would have taken the catalytic converter off my mom's van if thieves gave you a notice. And Jesus is not coming to steal. When he says he's coming like a thief in the night, he's just saying he's not going to give you a forewarning. He's just coming. He's just coming. And when he comes, this heaven, Peter said, this heaven and this earth are going to pass away in a fervent heat. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Seeing these things are true, he said, what kind of people should we be? Living in holiness and godliness. Waiting for the day with all diligence. Somebody says, well, that was 2,000 years ago when Jesus hasn't come yet. Don't forget what else Peter said. The Lord's not slack. For God, who lives not in time, God lives in eternity. He said, to God a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. In other words, you know, when I was young, I didn't understand that at all. Now that I'm what I am, the years go by so quickly. I'm beginning to understand a little bit more about a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. 
in a matter of a blink of an eye, 20 years have gone by. Jesus is coming again for you and me. Sooner than you think, one way or another. Jesus is coming again, and it will be sooner than you think, one way or another. We ought to be like the little boy whose family clock, they had one of those clocks that chimed on the hour, and it malfunctioned. And instead of striking 12 times, it struck 15 times. And he's rushed to his mom, wide-eyed, crying out, Mommy, it's later than it's ever been before. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How much time do you have left? How much time do you have left? If you're a teenager, how much time do you have left? You may think you have your whole life ahead of you. But we've had a box here with teenagers in it before. Who never got to graduate from high school, never got to get married, never got to have kids. Because Jesus came for them. All of us who've enjoyed six, seven, eight decades of life, how many minutes do we have left? Jesus is coming sooner than you think, one way or another. He's either going to break the clouds with the trumpet sound and we all go up, or as Linfield Crowder used to say, he's going to touch you once on the heart and once on the lungs and say, come on home, it's your time. Wake up, he said. Now is the time to act in love toward your neighbors. Because we may not have a tomorrow. Number four. It's time to give up some things. It's time to give up some things. Verse 12 said, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and, je and jealousy. Some things that we put off, things we give up, things that are incompatible with expressing the love of Jesus Christ. Letter A, don't live for endless pleasure. Don't live for endless pleasures. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Now when I read that word orgies, my, my mind goes to that second thing, not in sexual morality. But when I looked it up in the Greek dictionary, that word that is translated orgies here in English, in the, the context, it wasn't a, so much uh, associated with sexual activity as it was with reveling, partying, with alcohol most of the time at night. Now when I was in high school, the keggers that I heard about that they never invited me to because they knew I wasn't going to go anyway, out of Crystal Pool, they always took place late at night. And there would be all kinds of reveling and, and all kinds of things going on, so I'm told. I never went to see it, didn't want to be anywhere near there, because I just didn't want to be anywhere near there. The city of Corinth, the city of Rome, had that kind of drunkenness and revelry going on on a constant basis. That was the lifestyle. Paul was saying, listen, wake up. Life is too short, time is too short to be giving yourself to, to self-indulgence, always thinking about the next thing you can do for pleasure. You only have so much time allotted to you to be a beacon of love in a dark and dying world. Put on the armor of light and put away these things. Let her be, don't live for sex. 
sexual immorality and sensuality. The sexual union between a, a man and a woman was God created. And in the context of marriage, he created it to be the most intimate and one of the most beautiful experiences that human beings can have. But the world system does not acknowledge God's plan. And they've diminished the sacredness of the union as God created it, perverting it to whatever feels good, do it as often as you want, with whomever you want, wherever you want. Sexual union outside of the sacred vows of marriage will always lead to hurt. Hurt you, and hurt other people. You'll destroy yourself and you'll destroy others. In regards to living for pleasure and sexual gratification, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered... Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud piles in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What an apt description. Like a kid who'd rather play in the mud than be able to go to the beach because he doesn't understand. Because of the internet, because of the movies, there are more people, an alarming number of people, within the body of Christ. People who, trying to have a relationship with Jesus, who become tangled up and addicted to pornography. And if you find yourself there, as embarrassing as it is, you need to confess, repent, renounce, and become accountable to somebody who loves you and who will love you and help you to walk into freedom, redeeming the time in the name and the power of Christ, sharing the love of Christ. Let her see. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Be an encourager. Choose to be a peacemaker and encourage Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not quarreling and jealousy. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Paul's addressing with these phrases, quarreling and jealousy, is referring to someone who cannot stand being surpassed by someone else's success and position. It's a person who tries to build up their self-esteem by tearing down other people's self-esteem. It's the crabs in a bucket syndrome. You all know about crabs in a bucket, right? You put one crab in a bucket, that crab will get out of there eventually. But if you put multiple crabs in a bucket, no crab will ever get out of the bucket. Because there's this thing about crabs, when one of them starts to ascend the walls of the bucket, they reach up with their claws and pull it back down again. Paul said, don't be like that. Don't be jealous. Don't be quarreling. Love does not envy, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 said. Or if you read it in another translation, it said, love is not jealous. But love is patient and kind. Long-suffering. Proverbs tells us that there are seven things that God hates. And do you know what the seventh thing is on that list? The person who causes division. Strife and division. So what is the positive thing we do? We need to start end with a positive note. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And I put the NIV right below that. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I came to church today, I went into the closet, chose a shirt, and a pair of slacks to put on. I'm going to wear these wherever I go today until I get to go back home and out of public and I can put on my sweats and sit in my chair. 
These clothes are going to be a part of wherever I go, whatever I do. While I'm in public, I got dressed. And so did you. Thank you very much. I will never forget the night I was here on Saturday night praying and I looked up and through that back door came a guy that had nothing on. It was a night like last night. It was raining outside and he'd been walking down the highway and uh, he got really soaking wet. So he came into the gym, threw his clothes over top of a chair and he came in here to see what I was doing, stark naked. Thank you for wearing clothes today. Our clothes cover our birthday suit. They make us presentable to each other. Paul is saying, when you get up every day, clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. Put on His character. Put on His nature. The Holy Spirit will equip you to be light in a world that's so dark. He, notice he uses the, the, the full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord stands for power and authority. Lord stands for his right to rule. As the Lord has been given a name above every name, he has power to change and alter events, to literally control History. He's sovereign over everything that takes place. Revelation tells us that he has the power to shut doors and no man can open them. He has the power to open doors and no man can shut them. Put on Christ when you get up in the morning. I know when we got saved, we all came into Christ and Christ came into us. But Paul said there's this thing that we do every day. I consciously... Put on Christ. Or maybe as we put it from the Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a continual thing, a daily thing. When we put on Jesus, we put on power to be agents of change. When we put on Jesus, we put on power to be agents of change. Because we're in Christ, clothed with Christ, He works through us. And as we encounter People with Him in us, their destiny can be altered. Because when we put on Christ, you can become a thermostat instead of a thermometer. Do you understand what I mean? With our presence, we can set the temperature spiritually and emotionally in a gathering that we go to. Rather than being a thermometer, figuring out who's mad at who and all the other stuff that goes on. We come and we add value that brings change in the situation in life. When we put on Jesus, we put on the capacity to love. We put on the capacity to love. I read earlier from 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. His amazing love for us becomes our motivation to love each other. We read in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You say, I don't have the power. To, yes, you do. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, the Holy Spirit has been poured into you and God's love has been poured into you because God is love and wherever he goes, he's love. And he's inside of us. We have been given a capacity to love way beyond anything that we can produce on our own. Think about the gospel story of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he did good. Moved with compassion, he healed people. To me, one of the most expression, deepest expressions of his love is in the gospel of Mark, when a leper comes to Jesus and wants to be healed. And it says that Jesus reached out and touched this leper. When I preached on that years ago, going through the Gospel of Mark, I went to the library and checked out a book written by a leper who faked his own death by driving his 
Model T or Model A into the harbor at New York. His doctor figured out a way to get him to India to live in a leper colony. And he talked about the fact he lived in that leper colony for 20 years and was never touched by another human being who did not have leprosy. But Jesus in his love, a man who had to live outside the city, who had to cry unclean, unclean, so nobody would come in contact with him. He had worse than COVID. Jesus didn't wear a mask. He reached out and touched him. The harlot who came and poured ointment on his feet, her tears washed his feet. The Pharisee was all upset. How could you let that woman touch you? The one who's been forgiven much is more grateful than she's been forgiven. His love his love. He treated outcasts with love and dignity. And he's given us the capacity to love each other and to love our neighbor. When we put on Jesus, we put on the power to be delivered. We put on the power to be delivered. Christ means the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah who came to save us, the Messiah who came to set us free, the one who came to deliver us. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, we have been given the power to walk in freedom. To walk in freedom above sin, above habits, above addictions. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, we have the power to lay our hands on others and see them set free. Isn't that what Jesus said? These signs shall follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Serpent bites them, they won't die. Power. We are so blessed with the privilege to clothe ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Make a difference in our world. When Lewis Laws became the warden of Sing Sing Prison in 1920, the inmates there existed in wretched conditions. This led to the introduction of humanitarian reforms. And Lewis gave much of the credit to his wife, Catherine, who always treated the prisoners as human beings. She would often take her three children and sit with the gangsters, the murderers, the racketeers while they played basketball and baseball. 1937, Catherine was killed in a car accident. The next day, her body lay in a casket in a house about a quarter mile from the institution. When the Acton warden found hundreds of prisoners crowded against the main entrance, he knew what they wanted. Opening the gate, he said, Men, I'm going to trust you. You can go to the house. No count was taken, no guards posted, yet not one man was missing that night. Love for the one who loved them made them dependable. Love for the one who loved them made them dependable. How much truer that should be of you and I in our relationship to God. God's sacrifice for us, his love lavished on us, ought to make us completely dependable in showing our love to the world. The sacrifice he made, the love he lavished on us, ought to make us completely dependable in showing our love to the world. Verse 13 and 14 said, Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. These two verses were really made famous for students of history. Have you heard of a man named St. Augustine? Augustine, a young man in the 4th century who was what we would call a I don't know, he was a swinger, playboy, whatever. He lived a wild, carousing life. 
running around with evil companions, doing everything they were doing. He forbade himself nothing, went into anything and everything. And as people do today, he came to hate himself for it. One day he was in the garden with his friend, and he walked up and down bemoaning his inability to change. And, oh, tomorrow, 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 how can I free myself from these terrible urges that drive me to hurt myself? And as in despair, as he walked back and forth in the garden, he suddenly heard what he thought was the voice of child. Perhaps some children were playing next garden next door. The voice said, take and read, take and read. He could not remember any children's games with those words, but the words stuck. He went back to the table, found lying on it a copy of Paul's letter to the Romans. He flipped it open, and these were the words he read. Let us walk properly, or let us behave decently in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord. In that moment, Augustine opened his life to Christ. He knew about him before that, but he never surrendered himself to Jesus Christ. But in that moment, he did. And he felt the healing touch of Christ cleansing his life. And he was never the same again became one of the greatest Christians of all time. That's what Jesus and his love is capable of doing. He gives us all the power to love. If we but choose to exercise that power, the moment that needs it. We can release the love of God in a radical way in this world. His love has the power to change everything. It'll change our homes, change our lives. It can change our community. It's God's love that can change this nation because the risen Savior is available to us here and now today. Verse 14 and Philip's paraphrase or translation of the scripture said, Let us be Christ men or humans from head to foot. Give no chance to the flesh to have its fling. Let us be Christ men or women from head to foot. And give no chance to the flesh to have its fling. I want to sing a chorus that goes with Romans.